in Christ I am at peace, part two. And so I'm going to pop up, thanks, Jazz, um, the scripture on the screen here. Let's read together from Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. This is Jesus speaking to his followers. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet... Your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or oh, what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows, he knows that you need them all. Ah, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. But awesome words. Wow. What a privilege to preach them today. And I want to just remind you, I'm going to wrap this section up, but we're talking about in Christ I am at peace, and what a perfect time in our country and in our, our context as a church, in our city. And I want to remind you, Jesus says that there are two sources of anxiety in this life, particularly in this when he's dealing with what we're going to eat, drink, or wear. The first is this was, if you are motivated by laying up treasure on earth, in other words, you are greedy for the next car, or the next house, or the next blouse, or the next thing that you can possibly own, you're going to live a life of discontentment, and the result is you're going to be anxious. You're never going to have enough. The flip side of that is this text, which is many of you can relate to, is it's not the anxiety around what's the next thing I'm going to eat, drink, or wear. It's, am I going to have enough? That's the, and the problem is this. Both of them cause you, those kinds of anxieties cause you to fixate on the same thing. What am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? What am I going to wear? So Jesus is linking this to very carefully because he's saying, the result of anxiety, whether it is you are ambitious out of discontentment for more or whether you are fearful of not having enough for the future, it leads to the same thing. You fixate on the same stuff and it has the same spiritual impact. It affects your heart. It affects your ability to see clearly in this life and it affects what masters you. And so Jesus can't leave it at just the one because he's got to tackle the second half for people like you and me who are anxious at times around the future. And he says to the Christian, don't be anxious. This has spiritual consequences for your life, and he's going to teach us how, how not to be. He's great. He doesn't just say, don't do it. He says, I'll tell you why not to be anxious in your life. And I really want to refer you to last week's sermon. If you missed out on last week's sermon, please listen to it online. We have some presuppositions around anxiety that are unhelpful. And Jesus is talking about tackling anxiety where there are concrete fears. You can see I might not have enough here for the future, or I don't know how it's going to work out in the present, therefore I'm anxious. He's not talking about anxiety that can come from a physical predisposition or genetic predisposition. This thing of anxiety, it is not simplistic. 
You can't come at it as just saying, just stop it, or just trust God. No, no. It's very important that you come to a place where you can see why you are tackling a formidable enemy and why you need to be careful to use all that Jesus gives you in this text to fight it. And that's where I want to launch from today. The biggest thing I want you to walk away with today is not just knowing who God is and who you are in Him and what that means for you is, I want you to hear Jesus' words very carefully. He is calling us to do something. This Christian life is not just what we passively believe, is the consequences of what we believe means that we have to apply it. So are you with me? Can you just nod if you heard me? This thing of Christian living, it is an applied faith. And if you are going to tackle anxiety, the worst thing that you can do is have a victim mentality where, in a sense, you sit back and let it punch you and you do nothing in return. Now, Jesus is teaching you, how, this, is, this is spiritual warfare. If you want to know how to do spiritual warfare, this is Jesus at his best. You can do one back, it's fine. We're not quite there yet. We'll get there in a moment, Jess. But this is where Jesus is saying, guys, I want to teach you how to fight. In this aspect of anxiety, you have to believe Jesus here. You are not a victim. You are not in bondage to this anxiety. What Jesus is saying is, no, for the Christ follower that has a concrete fear because of concrete reasons in their lives that they are worried about certain outcomes and certain aspects, he says, you've got to fight. You've got to fight. And until you do, hear me this morning, please, 10 o'clock, until you do, you will not grow in your faith. This will mean nothing to you. Is Jesus calling to take up arms against a formidable enemy? And he does it like this. He says, you have to reason. You have to think. Use your brain. He goes, isn't life more than food? And isn't uh, uh, cloth- uh, the body more than clothing? We have to think and reason. Can we change a single thing in our life by being anxious? He's telling you, use your mind. You have to come at this with, you are, you are tackling false arguments. We are destroying arguments in every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5 says, you are taking every thought captive under Christ. You are interrogating and thinking um, the way that you are thinking. You're not letting the sort of, uh, download streaming happen of these thoughts in your mind and you do nothing about it. You look at facts. He says, look at the birds of the air and look at the lilies of the field. You are objective. You, think it, you look at the facts of life. You apply them to your life. You think about what you know about God. He's your Father in heaven and what your relationship is to Him and what that means about eternity and how we relate to things. Can you notice Jesus is saying, you've got to fight. What are you going to fight with? It's what you know to be true about God about his love for you, about his word, about your knowledge of where things are going. This is not a passive process of kind of just praying, Lord, would you deliver me from anxiety? No, he's saying, I'm calling you to stand. I can say a lot more, but I must move on. I want to point out to you, Jesus is not too concerned about getting complicated. Do you notice this? Is He's telling you, you take what you know, and you apply it, and it leads to freedom. And so these are the arguments Jesus equips us with to tackle this formidable enemy of anxiety and brings us to the statement of in Christ I am at peace.
the first argument, and I just want to recap briefly from last week because it flows into the others, and it is this. Jesus says, we must think in a way where we look at the great things of life, and then we apply it to the lesser things of life. And he does it like this. He says, don't you know that life is more than food and the body is more than clothing? In other words, he's saying this. He's saying, if God has given you the miracle of life, and before the foundation of the world, he thought about what you were going to be like, the day of your birth, how many days of your life are written in his book. He thought about this body in which you're going to live this life through, and he he tailor-made your personality and your fingerprints and the way that you think to this glorious purpose. Don't you think if God has birthed you in purpose and given you this, this gift of eternal life, a soul, and given you this incredible, unique body, that he's able to sustain it. Do you think that food is greater than this life he has given? And what are broccoli and peas and carrots? In other words, the, the psalmist is saying this, my friends, this is how you must think. You must not have a little faith. You must apply your faith to the big picture. And the psalmist tells us again and again, don't you realize that none of you are a mistake here? Do you believe that? That you were not birthed because of some random sexual act or you might even be an orphan and not even wanted by your parents. I tell you who made you. It was God. And he decided the day of your birth. And with that birth, he birthed you in purpose. And for the Christian, you realize if he has dignified you with this eternal life, with the Savior, with this wonderful, precious, and very great promises, which are yes and amen in Jesus, don't you think he's going to keep them? I want you to meditate very carefully on a psalm that has been a great blessing to me, Psalm 108. And the psalmist says, 138 verse 8, he says this, The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. In other words, if God has called you to live a life for him of obedience, he's going to make sure he's going to sustain you to do it. The second argument is this. Is Jesus says, he flips it around. He says, look at the lesser things of life and apply them to the greater things. And he goes like this. He says, look at these little birdies, these little things that tweet, and they're so tiny. I mean, you, you drive past them. You don't really pay them much attention. Maybe time to time they catch your eye. He said, look at these lilies of the field, and it's lily season. I don't know if you've been seeing them on the side of the road, right? These, uh, they've been beautiful. And um, and I took Sarah for a walk the other day, and they were growing on the side of one of the houses. And one was already starting to wilt. But it's magnificently created lilies that are only here for a couple of weeks, and then they're gone. Jesus says, look at these tiny, amazing aspects of creation. Who's sustaining them all? Who's behind every worm they find? And every sea that they pick up, the water that they use to drink, who is behind the sustaining power of their life? It is God. It's God. And he says this. He says this, and it comes through in, in Psalm 104, verse 24 and 27. It's, it's, it's a powerful thing. Christians here today, if you're worried and upset and anxious about the present or the future, you get outside and you look at the glory of creation. You look at concrete fact. They're the birds of the sky and the fish of the sea and this glorious vegetation. And, and the psalmist says, oh, Lord, how manifold are your works. 
He's gazing at all of them. And he says this, in wisdom you have made them all. Oh, the earth is full of your creatures. And this is the powerful scripture I want you to remember as well. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. Isn't that incredible? God is sustaining the whole world. He is ensuring that everything that has life is being fed and nurtured and nourished. And Jesus' argument is this. If he is such a faithful creator, don't you think he's going to be a faithful father? Don't you think if this God can look after these tiny finches, and by the way, they live for about five years and then they die. Nobody celebrates their birth or their departure. God does. One falls to the ground. He knows it. His eyes totally fixed on his creation. If he is such a faithful creator to such tiny insignificance, if he could take such care to create a lily that's here for one day and gone the next, don't you think he's going to be a faithful father? You who are of such more value to God than these things. Do you know where your value comes from today? As a Christian, you carry the Holy Spirit in your heart. In your, your body is called a temple of the Holy Spirit. He has dignified you by making you in His image. He's given you eternal life. He's given you an incredible place at His table as a son and daughter. He's saying, if these finches that are here today and gone tomorrow, they've got no eternal value whatsoever. Oh, if He's faithful to them, how much more to His own children? Do you know why anxiety is not commended by Christ? Because it grieves the heart of the Father. And I don't want to be heavy today, but you must understand, if this perfect father has sworn to take responsibility for your life, and you live as though you have got no trust in his intentions, how do you think it makes him feel? As a dad, a fallen one, it hurts me when my children doubt my integrity. I've got more to say about that, but I want to say to you today, Friends, if God is such a faithful creator, how much more is he going to be a faithful father? And there has to come a place in your life where you decide, that's what I believe. Why are we taking eight weeks to preach on this series of In Christ I Am? It's because we are trying to equip you to apply what is the truth in Jesus Christ. And your life. Notice he says, if your heavenly father feeds these birds, he's saying, you need to apply the fact that you are adopted. In Christ I am adopted. You are a son and daughter of the living God. You have eternal value to your father in heaven. You are eternally loved. In Christ I am loved. You understand that everything in your life, he's watching and it matters. There is opportunity for eternal reward. These are the things that we must apply to our lives. We must think about trouble in this way and hardships and seasons. We apply who we know God is and what that makes us. Now, my friends, if these things don't matter to you, you will not get very far in your Christian walk. Because the Christian advance is not Passive. And can I say what my dad shared to you? I never saw this before, but I believe this is from the Lord. You have to delight yourself in the law, which in other words, instruction. In other words, God's going to tell you to do something, and you have to delight in applying it to your life. 
It's not an intellectual knowledge. Some of us here have been in church for many, many years like myself, and you know a lot. I ask you, how much is it being applied and shaping the way that you think about life, the thing about trouble, thinking about relationships and anxiety? Once you start to apply these things, that's when you are truly growing. And God says, look at this. If he's not going to drop a little bird, he's not going to drop you. The third argument, before I reach my conclusion today, is this wonderful thing. And it's a common sense argument. In Matthew chapter 27, 34, it says, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? What is the point of worrying at all? He goes on to say, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Such sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I mean, the more you think about this, and you push pause on the worry, the worry, uh, the worry machine, the more you realize how true Jesus' words are. Let me just play it out for you like this. I'll show you what happens with Matt Johnson. I'll give you an example. It's a hypothetical one, but the point will still stand. Let's say there's a week to go. I don't have enough money in my bank accounts, and I've got to buy food. And I sit there in my office, and I go, what am I going to do? Where am I going to go? What did I say? I'm going to make some, make some solutions. Maybe I can ask my dad to lend some money. Maybe I'll do this. Maybe I'll do this. No, no, no. And there's all this energy. There's all this worry. There's all this stress. At the end of it, has anything changed? Has by my dramatic worry willpower changed anything in my bank accounts? Has it produced any change in whatever I need? My friends, when you start to think about the absolute futility of worry and how little it, achieve, it can achieve nothing, well, then why do it? But that's what we do, not so? And you guys do it. You better give me a nod because I know you like this. You sit there behind your computer screen. And, and the conversations and the scenarios are going through your mind, not so? You, you're playing it out, and you can, you're going through all the possible scenarios of what could happen, and you're just looping. That's what worry is. You just loop. You go round and round and round, and by the end of it, has anything changed? <laughs> you know, the problem with worry is it's a form of control, and the reason why you're worrying is because you're not in control, and by worrying, it doesn't change it being in control. It makes no use. <laughs> and you know what it does do? You know what it does do? Is instead of adding a single span to your life, which it doesn't do, it diminishes your capacity to enjoy the number of hours God has given you to enjoy. Let me explain it to you like this. You're, a bed, you're, in, you're in bed at night. You, you can't sleep. If you're like me, I, I, I fall asleep pretty well. But then about 2 or 3 in the morning, you wake up. And off the loop goes. And you're tossing, and you're turning, and you're grinding your teeth. And you wake up in the morning, and are you the better for it? I tell you, you're exhausted. And then you've got life to live, sufficient for the days its own trouble. Not so. You've got your kitties that are waking up as, as, as Duracell bunnies, ready for the day, ready to fight with you, ready to exercise all that powerful will on 12 hours sleep, and you've had three, and now you have to try and figure out how you're going to parent. Or you go to work. Are you of any good to your coworkers? You're sitting there, the bags are under your eyes. You're like in La La Land. You've got this project to finish and you just get the loop. And life is passing you by. But you are so disconnected from the present because you're so gripped by fear. Are we of any use to God in that state? And I want you to know this is something we're growing. So I don't want you to feel guilty, but I want you to recognize how absolutely futile it is. You go, oh, 
Let me get back to what is really going to work here. You know, I said last week, don't say just stop it. That's quite right. But in this case, you can say stop it, but you have to tell yourself why. Is you slow down, you say, just a moment. All of this emotional energy, mental energy, it is exhausting. And can it change a single thing? No, what it does is it drops your gaze from the glory of who God is to you and the certainty of his scriptures and the clarity of mind of knowing what you stand on as a believer to this place of bent over, aging misery. And the picture of your life is this. The one who is always overwhelmed. Now Jesus says, is that of any use to you? No. He said, for those of us here who, this is how worry works. And I tell you it works like this, and you'll say it's true if you really think about it. You, you fixate on the present. Doesn't change anything. But the present works out. Then you suddenly go, well, how's God going to do that again? You switch to the future. You start going, how's he going to figure? He came through this way. But how am I going to deal with this? And how am I going to deal with this? Because what happens is your attention of the one thing is shifted to the million other things that are waiting. That's how it works. And this is the wonder. Jesus says, don't you know every day comes with a quota of its own trouble? Why on earth would you want to take on the next days? Why? It will make you carry something that God is not putting on. You know how to live with the burden that is light and the yoke is easy. You learn to own what God has given you and to let go of the rest. It's the joy of trusting Jesus in the presence and living in the rest that he's going to hold the future. And that means, remember, I'm not talking about a careless faith. I'm saying you make your plans. You, make your, it is, you take up your responsibilities to exercise the callings he has on your life. Fathers, work, bosses, whatever you, you do that. But what you do is once you've made those plans, you give it to God. You give it to God. I just sent someone's here today, and you are crushed by the burden of your job. You are in a situation where you are carrying responsibility, and it's crushing you. You're responsible for all these people, and there are issues, and there's problems, and you don't know how to. I just sense the Lord saying to you today, you put your plans in place, but you trust me for the rest. Trust me. There is a theology around 24 hours. I want to preach on it one day when I've actually understood it properly, but I'll give you a hint of what this means. Jesus says this. Oh, no. Actually, the Old Testament reads a lot, but he did say this. He said, Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread. And the way you can translate it is say, give us the bread for tomorrow. Say, we've got the bread now. Thank you, Jesus. But I'm going to trust you for tomorrow's. I'm leaving that in your hands. I'm going to taste and see that the Lord is good here. The other thing is, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad. He hasn't created tomorrow yet. That's in your book, and he's got that sorted. But today, these 24 hours are for your enjoyment and benefit. Ah, oh, isn't that wonderful in Lamentations, in the book where it, the name is weeping. He says, his mercies are new. Every morning is sufficient for the day's its own trouble. And my friend, to live in the future is to surpass grace. And I ask you today, how much are you enjoying your life right now? You know, 
It's a question I have to ask myself. The mark of you enjoying life right now, your children, the relationships you have, the food on your table, is the measure of the absence of anxiety in your life. Is you realize when God is taking responsibility for the future and even the protection of the present, you're able to eat that bread, that toast. You, evil, you wake up in the morning. You are so thankful. You are so at risk. You are so at peace because you are living in the knowledge of this reality of God being your father. And you feel so blessed. Suddenly, parenting takes on a new thing. Your job takes on a new, new, new dimension. Your church life, your ministry, it becomes a joy because you realize God is taking responsibility for the things by nature we can't carry. Wow. So my conclusion today is, friends, the invitation that God is giving us as Christians. And I'm going to get to the one who's not certain if they're a Christian here this morning. Because this is a promise for the Christian. But I want to point out to you, when these spiritual truths grip your heart and you apply them to your life, you live a higher life. Are you with me this morning? I'm going to explain it, but just I need you to check in at this moment because it's important. Jesus says the result of living a life like this is do not be anxious saying what you will eat or what you will wear or what you will drink. He says, for the Gentiles seek after these things. Is what's at stake here? The reason why anxiety matters so much to Jesus in the believer's life is it because it robs you of living the higher life God has intended for you. And we begin to sound, listen to me now, we begin to sound like people who don't know God. That's the danger here. Oh, Lord, we know what this is like. These Gentiles in Jesus' day, they didn't know the God of the Bible. They didn't know who he was and this covenantal love that was on offer. They didn't know what it meant to be a child of God. They didn't know the promises of God's word. They didn't know what it, where this was all going in eternity. Everything was just about now and being terrified of losing whatever they had in this life because this was the life that this was all that they had. No, no. The person who is anxious is the one who doesn't know God. And Jesus is saying, don't be like that, Christian. You know God. You have the precious and great promises of Jesus in your life. That is your bedrock. That is what you live from. You know who God is. He is your father. You know who you are to him. He, you are his child, his beloved, and he's the one who has chosen you. He's made you, dignified you with his own Holy Spirit and said, you are mine. You are mine. No one's going to snatch you from my hand. I am your eternal, perfect, heavenly father. You know that. And you know where this is all going. You know the glory that is awaiting you. Don't be like that. Don't be like that. The higher life is to do this, is to seek first the kingdom. And his right is you know what is going to last. That's what you give yourself to. Can I say to you today, my friends, Jesus, in essence, is saying, if you want to worry about something in this life, I'll give you something to worry about. Is where are you in your relationship with God? Where are you in listening to his voice? 
this king. That's the point. This king, is, this is his kingdom. This king is ruling over you. He's ruling over all things, and he's bringing all things to glory. My friends, does that matter in your life? What he says, does it hold weight? Is this word that we, we heard in Psalm 1, this delight in the things that are eternal in their purpose and in their steadfastness. Is this what you're building your life on? Or is it all of the wind and wave and, and futility, futile thinking of people who have got no understanding of God? That's not for you. That's not for you. Can I tell you what it means to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness? It is this. It is not to have a little faith. What do I mean? Oh, you of little faith. Jesus is saying, you just have one little compartment for faith. And that's saving faith. That's why there is faith. You can say little faith. But a little faith person, Christian, is a kind of person that goes, oh, what is your hope of heaven? No, no, I know. It's Jesus Christ on the cross for my sins, and I believe that. And that's where they stop. I want to gently ask you, I have to ask myself this question. Is that you this morning? You can so carefully articulate your hope for eternal life. But when we start to talk about life, about clothing and drink and food, we sound just the same as Gentiles. We haven't gone from applying this glorious thing that we've received in Jesus to every area of your life. No, Christian, don't be like that. God is saying a big faith is one who sees things as they are, the kingdom reality of things as they are, and they apply them to every aspect of their life. Work out your salvation. Don't be a small-minded Christian where you know the sort of insurance policy of promise for the future, but you never work out who God is, what He is, who, who you are in Him, where this is all going, and all these precious and great promises. You apply them to every aspect of your life. That is a person growing in grace. That is a person growing in faith, is a person who understands the spiritual reality dictates every single aspect of my life. Wow. And I want to say to you, why does God permit anxiety into your life? Because it is an opportunity to grow, my friends. How else do you have to wrestle and fight and, and develop in your spiritual stature if it's not tested? You know, some guy, it offended me the first time he said it, but he was so right. He said, every time a trial comes into your life, it is a compliment from God. Those people that hurt you in your life, they're not there by accident. That job that feels so crushing in all of its hours and burdens, I want to ask you the question, is: has God put you there? If you say yes, then my friend, you bear up in the confidence that he is with you. And until he says it's time to move, you give yourself to the grace that is at work, the kingdom purposes in your life and what you are called to do to advance the kingdom. You do not doubt God's goodness to you because of anxiety and even because of lack of need. God might come through at the 11th hour, but I stand before you today on the word of God and say he will do it. Why can I say? Because we know who God is. We know who we are to Him. We don't doubt that because of winds and waves that hit us. No, no. We dig down deep and we know what is real and true. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. You ask yourself one question in your life right now. I don't care what it is that you're facing. You ask yourself one question. You say, God, how can I live in a way that pleases you? God says, you take up that responsibility. He'll look after the rest. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Oh, and what you will find. 
is the very purpose you were birthed for. God sees to it perfectly. Is and as a matter of fact, the good work that he did start in you, he brought us to come through all the seasons of trial, through all the chach of this life, through all the things that you wish could never have happened or didn't happen, you had no control, even, you, even your weakness and mistakes, God is working all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Friends, that is the spiritual reality we live in. Seek first the kingdom. Don't be small-minded in your prayer. If we can grasp this today, 10 o'clock, there will be such grace. A people in the city will see a higher life, a joy unspeakable and full of glory, a people who know their God.